Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood RX. The doctors are indefatigable. We are back after a very long hiatus. Hopefully you are as well. How are you, Dr. D? I am glorious today. Glorious, he says. Absolutely. I'm. I'm. Uh, look, it's weird because I'm. I'm actually nervous to be back in front of a microphone and and talking to you. But, uh, but uh, in in high spirits, indeed. Well, let's assure our listeners that this is no uh, flash in the pan reunion special. <laughs> right. It's not we a mirage. Are, uh, <laughs> yes. No, much much like everybody this past year, we've been almost glued to our televisions and taking in all sorts of things past yeah. and present and the time has come to share our thoughts with you our lucky lovely listeners <laughs> uh yes we're going to be circling in on two particular programs in this episode one being the queen's gambit the other being the series fargo now, I've seen all of The Queen's Gambit. Dr. D, you're only two episodes in, I believe, at this point? That is correct. That is correct. Why don't you start with your impressions thus far of The Queen's oh, Gambit? Oh, I will. I, and, I'm ch and frankly, chomping at the bit for more, but I didn't want to get too far into it before we talked and then lose my way. Yeah. So, uh, it's sort of full disclosure, I, I, I watched episode one, the pilot episode of uh, Queen's Gambit. I watched it twice. Once kind of in, in fits and starts while I was doing other things. I wasn't doing a service by doing it that way. It, it really benefited from my getting my ass in a chair and watching it instead of sort of having it in the background while I was folding laundry or whatever. Um, there's been a lot of laundry lately. Um, I was going to say, and a lot so, <laughs> of watching with laundry lately. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I benefited from the second viewing, uh, being focused on it and serious about it, and it pays dividends to do it that way. And I am charmed. I won't go into too many details now. This is just my sort of first take, but I was uh, charmed and intrigued and engaged, and I'm I'm all in on this one. Excellent. Yeah, can't wait to see more and to talk more about it with you. Uh, on or off the air. <laughs> Did you know anything about it before you started watching it? I knew precious little. Um, that's a good question. But much, much like I am with uh, with feature films, and you know, in the before times, you know, seeing something in a movie and avoiding trailers, and we've talked about that kind of stuff before. Um, I do the same with TV shows that I'm interested in, and I knew, you know, other than having a mild, a passing uh, understanding of chess, uh, my brother's actually a pretty a dedicated chess player and plays in tournaments mm. and all of that. So this whole thing would be right up his alley. But other than that sort of feeling at home, if there was going to be a chess, you know, background to this uh, story, um, I didn't know much about it other than that, you know, that shot, you would see that young woman's face. That's what was selling. It was that, you know, that face of hers. Mm -hmm. So no, I was kind of uh, in the dark about it. So but you, if I'm not mistaken, you are a fan of Peaky Blinders, so you're already familiar with her. Well, that's a, Anya Taylor Joy. You know what? That's that. Thank you for actually knowing her name, because I am uh, bad in this case for not not having her name at the tip of my tongue. Which is funny because it's not a complicated name. I mean, <laughs> I, know I won't not. bring up the I, I won't I won't dredge up the past, but uh, I'm just you know okay. I know that names and pronunciation tend to challenge us both. Yeah, this is true. So 
yes, I, I was a fan of Peaky Blinders, but I don't know that I watched more than maybe two seasons of it. I may not have gotten oh. further into the third season. And I think that she might have came, come after that even. I'm not sure if she was in it as early on. Um, so she was she's a relative newcomer to me, although obviously she has been in some things. Um, now, before we go further, because I, I could launch into all of that right now, what is your uh, what? How did you go into it, or what is your you know first take on this? I was aware of it when it came out, when it mm-hmm. was first airing. I didn't really think too much about it until I saw this little trailer that Netflix has going, where they uh, they show the scene of her signing up for the very first tournament she plays. Right, and right, right. Even in that 30, 60 second bit. I was struck by Anya Taylor Joy and thought, okay, oh, let's watch God. this. And yeah. then, yeah, and then I, I was pretty hooked uh, from the get-go. I have to say, That's and I was cool. not let That's down cool. for all six episodes. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, we can dive back into her a little bit because she's like this, she's like this sort of almost like a beautiful alien type face, uh, just a hypnotic eyes and just. So expressive and such a treat to watch. Yeah, uh, she's apparently uh, she's quoted in some interview as saying that uh, she was the ugliest Emma to have filmed a version of Emma. <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but but um, who's the actress who who? Ha- oh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, if we're talking about uh, you know ugly, then oh, never mind. I was going to make a joke about how. Uh, she certainly, her soul is more beautiful than, than, uh, what's her name? Uh, just never mind. I'll shut up. Let's go back. <laughs> she, she, she has a way of embodying this character mm-hmm. that, uh, it, it, it's pretty hard for me to imagine anyone else playing it. I know that it had been sort of been kicking around in development for a number of years. Right. Um, and I know that at one point Heath Ledger was attached to direct yes. it as his debut, uh, I don't know if they had even thought about casting at that point. They had. I saw a little thing about that, and we can get into it later. Or we can get into it now. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's fine. Um, what I read was that it was, well, then Ellen, now Elliot Page. And I think that was that would have been interesting if we were talking about Elliot Page circa Heath Ledger alive. Yeah. Not not currently. She's probably too old now, and not quite right for it anymore. But so that that could have been interesting. I, I, she or he is an actor I like a lot. I'm still adjusting there. But jumping back one second to, to what you said about how Anya is a little self deprecating, I find that interesting because she's certainly welcome to feel that way about herself, and I think that that feeling that she has of not being as engaging as she actually is, informs the character. The character feels like she doesn't belong. The character feels like she isn't, you know, not that she's unworthy, but that she, there's a, there's a hiding your light under a bushel type of a feeling with the character. Yes. And, and I think that that is then informed by her own feelings about herself coming through a little bit. That's very interesting to me. Have you seen Peaky Blinders? No, I have not. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it was very, very engaging. It was just one of those things where life got in the way, and then I kind of fell out of the practice of watching it. Uh-huh. It's really, you know, uh, Killian uh, Murphy, I think that's his name, uh, yeah. is ter- terrific in it, and just all in all, it's 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 quite quite fun and engaging. I've often been curious about what his uh, his background was because I only know him from Chris Nolan's movies. 
Right. I mean, that's kind of what and I he, know him from, too. He always just well, seemed a little weird to me. So I, <laughs> to, to see him, you know, in earnest starting out, that's, I'd be very curious to see it. That's fair. I can I can touch on. I've seen a fair amount of his work. I just need to um, get him right in front of me here while we're I'm I'm fumbling right now. But um, he was in right Inception. So you're referring. I mean, that's one of the things you're referring to. Uh, um, Twenty eight days later is I think where he first came to my attention. Oh, which is I remember so that, little man. about that. Oh, that uh, I really really like that movie a great deal. Um. So I, I remember I remember liking it generally. Uh, I mean, now and I think everything is going to be measured against The Walking Dead, and I don't know how it will play. How it would play now, were we to recommend it to people to catch up with it? But, right. Uh, um, yeah, I, I would say I, I would say that it is. Uh, first of all, I would say that in some ways the television show uh, Walking Dead doesn't exist without Twenty Eight Days Later, as a as a, a, a work of art. It, I think it laid some of the groundwork for that. Um, huh. it, it may have already existed as a graphic novel. I don't have the dates, you know, of all of the things in my head at the time, but I'm sure that 28 days later came before the actual television version of the walking dead. And I think it, um, it laid some groundwork there for, you know, what, what would a realistic look at a modern, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic, whatever it be. But yeah. uh, he's he's also in Cold Mountain. I'm sure it was just briefly. Uh, hmm. He being um, uh, Killian, Killian and let's see, yeah, those are some those are some early you know standout performances from him. But he's yeah he's been in a he was in something called In Time, which is kind of a sci-fi movie that had uh, Justin Timberlake, who brought sexy back Justin Timberlake, um, and it's a kind of a sci-fi. Uh, kind of an interesting idea that everybody has a certain amount of time to live, and when their time runs out, they're done. And the time it can be seen on their on their arm, like a wristwatch type deal. And hmm. so you get paid when you do your job. You get paid in time. When you go to the casino, you gamble with time. You're gambling with the actual minutes and hours and days you have left. Oh, interesting. And and then there's a murder mystery, you know, wrong man accused type thing going on at the same time. It's, I will look it's this kind, up. It, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. And. And he's the cop who's chasing down the, you know, trying to solve the mystery, but has the wrong guy okay. in his sights. Okay, I, I, I got yeah, enough. I won't tell you anymore. Uh, okay. So that was that was a fun detour, but um, yes, getting back to the subject at hand. <laughs> so, and the subject at hand is the is the radiant uh, Anya Taylor Joy. Any other actors uh, stick out to you in the two episodes you've seen? Well, you? yes, absolutely. I gotta I gotta say that Bill Camp. Who mm. plays the the uh, you know mentor and the you know the basically the janitor at the at the place, Mr. Scheibel. Mr. Scheibel, yeah, he is an actor that I've seen quite a few times before, but the first time I really remember noticing him was on an HBO miniseries called The Night of, which was a a mm. remake of a British similarly storied uh, thing, and it's uh, Night of is is a lot of fun. I don't know, I'm sure there's some kind of way to look at it now uh but it might all be through hbo so i'm not sure it's something that you can lay your hands on if you don't have hbo hmm. but um uh, after in, in night of there's a, you know this uh this young man after a night of partying partying ends up he's he's kind of taking his father's cab and he, to, to just get around and he ends up giving this woman a lift as though she's getting in a taxi but she's um 
he's just giving her a lift as a, like a good Samaritan type move. And uh, she ends up dead uh, the next day. And he ends up, uh, you know, in the crosshairs, this kid ends up in the crosshairs and Bill, uh, Bill Camp, I think plays, gosh, I can't remember now. I think he plays a cop, but just a weary, either a cop or a lawyer, but just this guy who's been weary and broken down and uh, dogged determination. John Tuturo's in it and he's phenomenal. He is definitely playing a, a lawyer huh. in that. And that's really worth uh, finding if you can. Okay. Um, and that's, that's where I know him from, but he's actually, I, I'm looking at his thing now. I see Midnight Special. He was in that, and we talked about that. That's it was at the same year as the night of. Yes, I remember him in Midnight Special. And he's been around. You know, he was in Birdman uh, from several mm. years before that. So we've seen him, but he's like one of those actors that you just will slide under the radar. He was in Damages TV show with Glenn Close that oh, yeah. I absolutely love. I don't know if you've seen it, but nope. that first season is terrific, and so is the second season. It started to get a little long in the tooth, but. He was in one of those seasons somewhere, and he's always good. Okay. Um, so he he definitely stood out to me as another as another um, you know actor to look for. And I am suspicious. Don't tell me, but I am suspicious. You don't cast Bill Camp to be in three quarters of the pilot. I'm suspicious we will see him again. If we don't, it's fine. But well, as much as I can say without revealing anything to either yes. you or our listeners, um, yes. This continues to be a pretty fascinating series, does not require any knowledge of chess, fortunately. And apparently there was a lot of work done to uh, to get the moves right. Um, yeah, yeah. And for her in particular, because I guess she didn't play chess before, so it wasn't just a matter of making the right moves, but also doing it in a way that they looked natural right. for her to be making looked- them. Not, and they looked thought out and 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 organic, organic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there anyone else? I did have one more thing I wanted to talk about with regards to this, but uh, is there any other actor or performance that stands out to you? Um, I find them. I find them all really excellent. There's one casting choice I did not care for. Later down mm. the road, we can maybe one day we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. <laughs> certainly not okay. going to ruin it for you. But the most interesting credit to me, which was something I was not aware of until the first episode and the credits rolled. Yeah. Was that this is based on a book by Walter Tevis. Does that name yes. mean anything to you, Dr. D? It it doesn't. I'm I feel I'm about to get embarrassed, but no, tell me more. Walter Tevis uh, was an American author who wrote the books from which a couple of significant films were made. Uh the first one being The Hustler. Oh, wow. Yeah. And okay. consequently, he Later on, wrote the follow-up for The Color of Money. Mm-hmm. Um, and his book is also the basis for the film of The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, wow. Now, while these seem very disparate, perhaps we can bring this up again once you've finished The Queen's Gambit, because yeah. I find the connection between those three titles to be very interesting and very him. Very cool. I have a whole a whole jag about him. I will or can do because it turns out I do know him and I have sort of studied a little portion of what you're talking about. But we'll save that for for maybe a a roundup or a follow up episode where oh, we talk man. more about the show. Okay, um, you, do, that's you definitely a don't want to talk about him now. <laughs> well, I, I do, but I don't. I don't want to make a meal out of this one little thing. And so let's okay. let's let's revisit this both of these shows later at some point. All right. And uh, and we can uh, save a little something for them. That'll that'll keep them coming back, man. They'll come back for that. Yes, that's um, right. 
I, and just so far, the the actress who plays the mother, Alice Harmon, um, oh. Chloe, I think it's Peary. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her last name. I, I like her so far. We haven't seen we haven't seen a lot of her yet, but um, I, I'm excited to see more of of her and what she does. Uh, assuming that she does more, I don't know. And so, two things more I wanted to say about it. One was just that I, I just found that first episode so atmospheric, and so there was this, a tremendous sense of dread, but there was also this sense of anticipation and joy and intrigue, and I don't know. It was it was it was the tone was just super interesting. And then that did continue into the into the second episode. Of, where there's a whole sort of location shift in the second episode. And, uh, and a, really, that first episode isn't really Anya. I mean, it's, you know, she's there, you know, very briefly. But um, it's really that uh, younger woman who I thought uh, did a, uh, Isla or Ilsa Johnston, did a tremendous mm-hmm. job as that younger, that younger uh, version of Beth. Yes, indeed. Um, so... Uh, that was all very cool. And then I just wanted to take one moment. The creators are, it's Scott Frank and Alan Scott. Um, I knew Alan Scott's previous work, but I was not familiar with Scott Frank with this. And I was the other way around. I'm, I was familiar with a lot of what Scott Frank did. Uh-huh. You know, he's been involved in some stuff that was really terrific. He he wrote the screenplay for Logan, which was a, yeah. uh, you know, almost like a Western themed, not in in its in actuality, they weren't riding horses and out in the wild west, but it was um, the, a Wolverine movie, and it was I thought it was a terrific superhero movie that sort of raises itself to the level of art. Oh wow! And uh, what else? Uh, Karen Sisko is a series. He did a little bit of Minority Report. Out of Out of Sight. He did the screenplay for Out of Sight. That that yes, movie is really well written and a lot of fun. Yes, it is. It almost makes up for Get Shorty. <laughs> well, which he also, yes, which he also wrote. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Fair enough. No, I, I, I mean, but when I looked at his credits, I was like, wow, he's really like, he, in my opinion, he's really hit and miss with, with that's some funny. of his work. Well, which is fair. that's I mean, fair. That's, but I mean, yeah, I, I scanning through this though, I see, I see probably half a dozen in the in the screenplay category, yeah. half a dozen or so things that I would recommend and to to put together a career where you have half a dozen of anything. I mean, given he has two dozen jobs entirely and only half a dozen of them are like, Hey, you got to see this. I feel like he's, he's done a lot of really interesting work and I'm excited to continue to explore what he's done here. He and Alan Scott. One of his earliest credits is a screenplay for this Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson movie called dead again, which I thoroughly hated, which I thoroughly (laughs) hated when I did too. I did too. Um, I didn't see Little Man Tate. I did see Malice, which I remember fondly because that's a very underrated Alec Baldwin performance in there. That's mm. a murder mystery with him and Nicole Kidman. Right, right, right. And there's the aforementioned Get Shorty and Out of Sight, Minority Report, which I still haven't seen. He wrote the, the remake for Flight of the Phoenix, which was awful. Another. Yeah, awful. I tried... I tried watching that recently and I just, I just couldn't. I'm like, oh even God. if I'm locked, I'm locked in the house 24 hours a day now, I still can't use any of that time to watch another minute of this. No, no, no. That movie to me falls in the category of if I had to do my life all over again, I would do everything <laughs> exactly the same, but I wouldn't see Fly to the Phoenix. Oh my God. Uh-huh. But he wrote The Interpreter, which right. I did like as a movie very much. 
he's definitely done well here. Apparently, he and Anya Taylor-Joy are teaming up for their next project, which oh. I kind of dread a little bit. Okay, there It's going to be an adaptation of a Vladimir Nabokov novel. This is the guy who wrote Lolita, but yes. <laughs> fear not, it's not Lolita. Um, right. It's another book of his called Laughter in the Dark, which oh, okay. I have not read, but I did see the British film of it from the late 60s, I want to say, yeah. with uh, Nicola Williamson. Mm. It's it's a very unpleasant, and cruel and ugly story, and mm. I... I don't know if I'm looking forward to this remake. I don't know if I'm even going to watch it, to tell you the truth. Right. So, But it will be interesting to see if the magic extends right, to that project right. as well. I have a feeling this is going to be one of these things where a team made something great the first time, and then they reunited, and it completely falls flat. Now, right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see in a year or so from now if I'm right. Yeah, I, I just true. thought it was a, it was strange pick of source material, and I would be curious how they do it. Right, right, cool. Well, that's uh, and what's that called again? Laughter in the dark. Okay, because it's not on his IMDb yet, even. No, it is not. Wow. Okay. All right. But cool. this was well, like a, a real scoop. week or two old. I've heard this. So. Oh, great, great. Well, cool. So I think that's that's it for now. But definitely we'll revisit this um, on on at least as far as Queen's Gambit is concerned. We'll revisit this down the road and talk Excellent. a bit more once I've got a few more under my belt. So now we get to Fargo the series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, I've been aware of this for a long time, but you know, Fargo joins the ranks of other great shows like. Orange is the New Black, and of course, Breaking Bad, which I still need to catch up on. <laughs> and now I have begun so in earnest, thanks right. to our homeboundness. Right. Um, and after hearing quite a bit of this and watching the first episode, I have one question for you, Dr. D. Oh, no. I'm, I'm afraid. Go ahead. Exactly what was it about this series? Oh, no. Yes. Put it up against heavyweights like Breaking Bad and Orange is the New Black. Because I have to say, I was I was so unmoved and so unimpressed by season one, episode one, that I was on the verge of just skipping to season two. Wow. Whoa, okay. Um all right. Well, I'm gonna collect myself. And, uh, no, uh, I had no qualms with any of the performances or anything. But okay. I just found the whole conception very derivative. I felt like it borrowed elements from Fargo. It had a lot of, I'm not going to say borrowed, but uh, it, it, it has a lot of elements in it that to me come straight out of, oddly enough, another Coen Brothers movie, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get there. There was no hook in this that that made me curious enough to to carry. There, the only character who I was starting to like was the sheriff who gets killed at the end of episode one. Yeah. So I I, I felt like fine. Martin Freeman. Okay. Well, I felt like Martin Freeman was fine, but I felt like his character was a riff on the William Macy character from Fargo. Mm-hmm. I felt like. 
you know, Billy Bob Thornton was essentially the Javier Bardem character from No Country for Old Men, this stoic, mysteriously silent hitman who just wanders around doing things seemingly at random. You know, yeah, I, 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 I guess I was, I was just surprised. I thought there would be something, something new. E- even the whole relationship between the sheriff and the deputy. You know, he's the wise and sheriff. She's the rookie. He's like, ah, oh, you know, right. this is what you look out for. Ah, oh, you'll be sheriff someday. You know, again, straight out of No Country for Old Men. So I've seen I've seen No Country in the last I don't know maybe year or so. And can you? Um, I, I don't really feel I. Uh, what relationship in No Country is that? Are you referring to there with the uh, Tommy Lee and- Jones and his uh, and his deputy? Oh, okay. Okay, I don't really remember. Uh, I know that there there may have been two of them. There need to be two of them so that one of them can say to the other one what he's thinking. But I don't really remember. There are just a couple of moments in there where the the the, the younger deputy is is about to do something, and Tommy Lee shows him some pointers. You know, mm-hmm. you know, raise your gun, do it like this. You know. And uh, I, I felt like we had some of that in here too. Uh, that could very well be a trope. Whenever there's a character who is a, a sheriff, when you have a sheriff character and a deputy character, maybe this has been going on since the beginning of time and I've just forgotten it. Uh, or maybe it right. just stuck out to me because of the Coen brothers connection. But uh, I guess I'd like to know what was it for you that that, right. that made this, this setup in this first episode pop? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, well, let me start let me just sort of reset a little and say that that we're in the situation which is the flip for this particular topic. The, in the in the Queen's Gambit, you'd seen the whole series. I hadn't seen hardly any of it. And in this case, I've seen all of season 1 and every other season, every other episode. So, uh it's it's um it is. I have to say, it's a little hard. I'm just sort of shocked. It's so funny, but I'm actually excited by the idea that uh, shocked and excited that we don't agree here, so we can. Go I'll, I'll, I'll go a couple more episodes and see, you know, how this. <laughs> I I do I do it, think you should, but steers. listen. Let let me see if I can re re engage your enthusiasm with the following. Let's see. I feel like, and I, I've said this to you before, but I'll I'll say it again in case people are new to the show. I feel as though this series, particularly season one, but I think it was true of season two as well, and arguably season three. I think that um, that this series does a magnificent job of recreating the universe that the other movie took place in. This isn't, you. in my mind, Lester Nygaard could live down the street and across the way from the Bill Macy character sure. in the other film. Sure. Um, that he that he inhabits the same world in a very concrete way for me, and I would in fact I would love to see some character. Yeah, I would love to see that kind of crossover. It would be super cool to me. So I love the idea that it really feels like the same universe, and I didn't feel like he was aping Bill Macy. Uh, that uh, that Martin Freeman was aping Bill Macy in his performance, but that it had been written in the same you know patois or whatever, uh, the same rhythms and the speech and all of that, and so. I was very comfortable with that. It felt like a place I'd been before, but I was seeing something that I hadn't seen. And and honestly, I was enjoying this new information. Going, skipping over now to um, the young deputy, Molly. 
you and I had, we once had a talk about, um, uh, this is me. I'm going to, I often find myself arguing something one way and then later hear myself arguing it exact, arguing something else, but using the opposite logic. Yes. We've all heard that. <laughs> so I'm going to acknowledge that I'm doing that here. We, we, you and I had spoke, spoken once, I think about, um, uh, the movie first man. I think it was that. Yes. With, we did talk about the first. Yeah. Man. How time Ryan, flies. one of the Ryans. I don't know. And I, you were, you thought that his, the depiction of his home life and the tension between he and his wife, because he was this inward type person who, you know, didn't share. He had this very intense job, didn't share with his wife. Uh, you found that compelling. And I felt like I had seen it in every cop movie and every detective movie where the guy brings his homework with him, brings his work home with him, but then won't, won't share with those closest to him. And mm -hmm. so I feel as though it's probably, and my response to you at the time was, and you said, look, that's, it's, it's probably how it was. We're watching something that's a true story about a person. That's how, that's what their marriage might've been like. And I felt, and I said at the time, that may have been what it was like, but it didn't make it compelling. If I've seen it before and you're going to show it to me again, do it in a different way. And you are correct. They are not doing it in a different way here. But every, it, it is not just in No Country for Old Men, but and in this, but also just in the world. I'm sure that older cops are paired with younger cops every all the time, every day. That's how the younger sure. cops become better cops. Sure. I mean, how do they know who to beat at a traffic stop if not learning it from somebody who's already done it? Oh, um, uh, he takes a shot. He takes a shot. Timely um, humor. Well, all due respect to uh, to the men and women who put their lives on the line every day to protect us, and I, I mean that genuinely. So, so I, 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 I'm not going to fault it there for doing something that's true in the world, and I'm not even necessarily going to call it a cliche. But I will say that you know. I have to go by my original statement, which is show us something new. If you're going to do something we've seen before, give it a twist that's new. And I would argue that what's new is he's killed almost immediately. Yeah. And so then we're left with whatever that relationship was, it is gone now. And she is on her own having to fend for herself, both in the politics of the law enforcement agent she's in, agency she's in, but also because she has an idea about what to do that nobody else is willing to look at. Hmm. And so I found that refreshing at the time when I saw it. And I think that's a, a compelling idea that's worthy of multiple explorations here and elsewhere. So, so I liked Martin Freeman. I actually, what are your, how do you feel about Billy Bob Thornton in general? Where do, where does he sit inside you? I like him generally. Yeah. I, li I like him generally. I know we've talked about him before because he, there are, some movies where he just turned in phenomenal performances. Right, uh, right. One that jumps to mind, uh, speaking of snow, is mm. um, uh, A Simple Plan. Yes, yes. He's great in that. And that's a fantastic movie. That is a fantastic movie. Uh, Bill um, Bill Paxton, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, Bridget Very Fonda, good. The Return of Bridget right. Fonda. And there's a third man, I think, isn't there? At some point in the beginning of the story, I can't remember. That Please. I do not recall. Okay, doesn't matter. Yeah, he was good in that. He was good in one no no false moves, something like that. One There's false little, move. One false move. Um, and and obviously sling sling blade. And then there's a lot of stuff that's like really hit and miss for him with me. Yeah, I feel like I mean he's done. You know, he's serviceable in a lot of supporting roles, like uh, 
isn't he Arm? Isn't he in Armageddon or one of the Michael Bay movies? He just plays a. Yeah, he may be. I'm trying a to suit. He probably is. If he wasn't, he should have been. Yeah, no, I like him just. Oh, fine. Armageddon. Yeah, you're right. Armageddon. He's in that. Simple Plan. They came out the same year. He's 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 fine in this. Mm-hmm. It's safe to say I enjoy I enjoy him enough that you know, mm-hmm. even if he's just phoning it in, it's right. Uh, it's a pleasure to watch. But here's the I thing: is he, one of the things to me about him being here? Well, I'll, I'll jump to that in a minute. But I wanted to touch on a couple other things he's been involved in, which. Oh, I know. Bad Santa and Bad News Bears. Oh, you know? right. Yes, you of know, course. I, I don't really like him when he's trying to be funny. I prefer him when he's being uh, playing it dramatically, but then it also can be funny. And recently I've really been enjoying him in, I'm trying to think of what the name of it is. Oh, gosh. It's, it's, for, uh, it's for Prime Video. Goliath. He's playing mm. a, 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 like an attorney, a defense attorney, and, and he's terrific. It's three or four seasons. And each of them is its own, you know, story. It's, you know, a 10, eight episode arc, 10 episode arc about one case or one story. And, and he's really good in that. But he is a, you know, if the, if the Coen brothers can be said to have like a, a troupe, uh, a, 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 you know, a group of actors that, that they work with over and over again, he was in The Man Who Wasn't There. He probably was The Man Who Wasn't There. Which That's is right. And that so, was a very disappointing Coen Brothers movie for me. Well, fair enough, but an intolerable. Speaking of disappointing Coen Brothers movies, intolerable cruelty Oof. is another another one of theirs, and 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 regrettable. But to me, being in those two things kind of earns him his way into this, in the way that Robert De Niro's history, work history, earned his way into the Joker, that he belonged in the Joker because of what he had been in before. And in, in, in some ways, I feel that's true here of, of Billy Bob. But I will say that it's a, you know, in those first couple episodes, I don't know if it's going to get that much more clear because honestly, it's been years since I watched this. I mean, 2014, six years since I've seen these episodes. Yeah, he's a little bit weird. And some of what he's doing, you're kind of going, why would he be doing this? And you kind of, and in the end, you know, in those early, early episodes, you kind of have to toss it up to, oh, well, he's quirky. But he... um I am engaged by him in this, and and I feel like he's kind of belongs here. You know, so, I, I don't yeah. know how well you remember that first episode, but there's this yeah. this whole scene where Martin Freeman's character is uh, he bumps into an old high school bully on the street, right, right, and sure. this guy just continually humiliates him in, in front of his two children, right, and I just I felt. Which and I know this is going to sound funny since I just said I wasn't particularly moved by the episode, but you know that particular scene was extremely difficult to watch. Not even so much for the actual humiliation that's inflicted upon him, mm-hmm. but for the fact that his character does not exit that situation. That, but he 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 stands there and takes it and sort of goes along with it. Right. To an extent that is, well, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be pitiful, but it also, it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me want to see more of this character in, okay. in, in okay. worse situations. I, I think what they were trying to do there and, you know, far be it for me to suggest, but what they were, I think what they were trying to do was set up this guy who, um, gets pushed around by life at every turn. Sure. And, and just, uh, 
you want him to either step away from that guy, get away from that guy, or stand up to that guy over and over again in different situations. You want him to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, be a man. Right. And so I think all of that is so that when he finally does go, I've had it, this is it, I am at the end of my rope, I am taking action, he takes the worst possible, most horrific action and takes it out on, you know, somebody close to him. Who arguably deserved it, but I also felt that was <laughs> there was the depiction of his wife and their relationship was a little heavy-handed, I thought. I I agree to a certain extent, but I also think that I, I feel like even in the in the in the movie Fargo, which is in the pantheon as far as I'm concerned, not just of Cohen Brother movies, but of just movies in general, there's some stuff there that's that's you know, bigger than it needs to be or exaggerated or whatever. I don't, I didn't feel it was out of line tonally with the source material, but I, I, I agree with you a little bit that, that it did seem maybe, you know, just a, a touch over the line in terms of um, necessity. I think Alison Tolman, who plays uh, Molly um, yeah. is, is charming. I really like her a lot. And I, I I feel she's credible as a person as a you know person who's putting a puzzle together and thinking things through and having ideas and you know trying to sort of advocate for herself. Um, and so I'm 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 going on this ride as much to see what becomes of her as I do and and how it, or if she catches up with Lester as much as I am. And, and she's got big shoes to fill because. Because if, uh, what's his name, Billy Bob is arguably, you know, what's his name from, from Country for Old Men, uh, Javier Bardem, yeah. she, she, is, she is stepping into the shoes of Frances McDormand, who is, uh, you know, a brilliant actress and was fantastic in the, in the source material. Now, she's not yeah. playing the same character, but she is the policewoman in this story. So there's no way that, that you don't automatically start to compare them. And I think... Um, as far as the as far as the pilot is concerned and the second episode, I think that she delivers credibly. She doesn't make you forget Frances McDormand the way one could argue that that Joaquin Phoenix's performance makes you forget one of the other Jokers. Take your pick. Um, <laughs> but but um, <laughs> even Lee Heath Ledger. I mean, you could you could argue that that he supplants Heath Ledger as the Joker as the performance of the Joker to be to be measured by anyway. So I feel kind of strongly about her. I had fun seeing um, Bob uh, Odenkirk in there. I felt he was a little bit hammy, but I just enjoy his work so much. And he's just doing, he, to me did such terrific work in breaking bad and continued that terrific work in better call Saul. Cause you're on the hook, not just to see breaking bad. You got to start seeing better call Saul too. So, Oh, I know. I know. I'm in the whole, um, the whole ride. I mean, there's a, listen, there's a complete ridiculousness to better call Saul, which is that it's supposed to take place, you know, arguably five or 10 years before the events of breaking bad. And, and Bob Odenkirk looks like he's 30 years older than he did. Cause that guy is not aging gracefully at all. So there are some shots where you're looking at him and you're like, what the, who are they kidding? This is just, but yeah, uh, you know, I let that go and I just enjoy the character, the performance of the character in the situations. So, um, well, I will, I will, I will, I will trudge on. I, I will give okay. a couple of episodes <laughs> a try and see. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I may um, jump to season two. Cause I know you spoke very highly about season two as well. Yes, but I feel that those two seasons, while they are not of an arc together, they do touch on one another. So uh, in a way that I don't really want to say because it's a little bit of a spoiler. 
All right. But but that I found very interesting. But I just want to d- double back to one thing that you said, where you were like, "Well, they've got some No Country for Old Men in here, and they've got some of this in here, and they've got some of that in here of the um, the Coen Brothers kind of, you know, a pastiche, a pastiche of their work or whatever." There's a, a British, I think it's a, a TV show. It might be a it might be a mini series or just a regular series, probably ten episodes per season, and it's called Dickensian. And there have been other things like this uh, done in England uh, that we just never really get here or you have to go looking for if you want them. And I haven't seen Dickensian, but I basically get the idea of it. And it it actually is kind of thrilling to me, which is that it is a drama. It's a drama set within um, the fictional kind of realms of the uh, Charles Dickens novels. So it's not it's not Oliver and it's not, you know, uh, no, I can't think of any other Dickens novel, but you know what I mean great expectations and it's not specifically any one of those things but it takes place in that world and it is populated by you know a mrs havisham and there are the various characters from these you know bob cratchit is there and uh, mr bumble Hmm. is there and so ebenezer scrooge is a character bill sykes is a character that it's all of those stories that we have read separately we're all taking place in in roughly the same area at roughly the same time and so those characters could come in uh, come across one another have interactions and I just find that idea like liberating and just sort of, you know, it makes my head explode with the possibility of it. I think it sounds so exciting. And mm-hmm. I take I take the TV show Fargo to be a version of that. But it's it's, it's instead of Dickensian, it's it's Coesian, you know, Coenson. I don't know how to turn the Coen brothers into that word, but that they are taking the name Fargo as a as a way in and the yeah. world the original world of the Fargo movie as a way in, but then they are drawing from elements and their elements and inspirations from a variety of other things. So if that really turns you off, then there will be more of that. And you might be turned off by that as well. But I feel like they have, they have owned all earned and own all of that because of the participations of participation of the Coens. It's not like they're, they're stealing it. Uh, Well, that's true. But I mean, do you, do you know for a fact from, accounts of the production or the Coens actually involved in the show or is it just they get their names on it because of the source material and you know they, they just get the check in in light of the fact that I don't have a direct answer for you I'm going to okay. say I'll say I'll save that answer for a for our follow-up on this when okay. I I am now determined to hate to hate Queen's Gambit just to get back at you Oh, hey, if you can. <laughs> well, I do hope that you can, um, that you, I think, I think that you just jumping to season two on Fargo will not solve the problems that you're having with season one, even though it's a All completely right. different, completely different set of characters, completely different story. Um, the tone, which I found so charming and attractive to begin with, and the setting, which I found charming and attractive are both things that don't seem to be charming or, nor attract, attracting you. and so. Hmm. Uh, that's not going to, it's really going to have to come down to the story. Are you interested in following what's happening to these characters or are you interested in following those actors and their performances? We shall see. We shall see. But I will say that what I haven't heard is I haven't heard the Coens divorcing themselves from it. Well, that's true. And they don't strike, they don't strike me as guys who sit idly by. I think they're talkers. I think they're, they're guys who would take action and I don't think it would have seen you know, it's possible that all the contracts were such that they have to sit with their mouths shut until the end of five seasons, but it's really likely that at most it was three seasons that everyone was contracted for. And hmm. 
so the fact that we're into a fourth season now, I think is an indication that they are, if, if they're not on board with what's being done, they're on, on board with the checks that are being cut, which doesn't feel like that right. either. But so uh, my thing is, yeah, go back and watch. I encourage the listeners to, to hear what I have said. And if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. And if you have, go back and revisit it because um, the wife and I are having a great deal of fun watching uh, both of these, both of these shows. And are there, th- uh, are there any other post COVID releases that you've watched oh. that, you, that, that particularly jump out at you? Gosh, I was not prepared for that question. Um, ha! I wasn't. So I, I don't want to answer it. Okay. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure I have, I've been watching a lot of stuff. I just don't have my, sure, my sure, host, sure. my host head on. Just in the, service of uh, variety for the yeah. topic of this episode. Um, I caught up with two things that mm-hmm. uh, to share. One was Isle of Dogs. Oh, which we yes. had a show about a few years ago. Um, yeah. I didn't see it. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, generally pretty mixed about it. Okay. Largely okay. because I yeah. found the premise to me was so, was so cruel and mean-spirited mm. that it was hard for me to sift to, to, to sift the gold pan and find the nuggets <laughs> of things that I enjoyed. The other thing I saw which uh, affected me pretty strongly was uh, this uh, Amazon movie called 7500. 7500. Oh, I, don't I don't know that one. Um, it's with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Oh, yes, yes, yes. Pilot. I have I, I have it in my queue. I just forgot it was in there. Yes. So ah, no spoilers, okay. but tell me. Uh, no, just that he plays the the pilot of a commercial jet airliner, which manages to get hijacked, and it's all mm. about. And I believe it's real time too, but it's oh, all about wow. um, him trying to keep keep the plane flying, keep control of it, keep the hijackers from doing something outrageous. It's uh, yeah. it's it's a to tell you the truth for the. Uh, the hijack slash hostage genre, it's uh, it's pretty engaging. I'll be very mm. curious what you think of it. Oh, wow. Okay, cool, cool. I definitely will uh, be willing to look at that. What's at the top of your queue? I, I will tell you. week or two. You know, I, something that I'm interested in, actually, I, I think it was you that turned me on to it, but now I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm so terrible at this, of, of remembering anything. It's, that hasn't changed, uh, ladies and gentlemen, faithful listeners, is that uh, <laughs> I, I still can't remember anybody's names when I want to. No, this one that you turned me on to, I think, is what it was, is uh, The Midnight Sky. I'm very intrigued by that. That's, um, that's top of my list. Yeah. Yeah. That is. I also want to see the the trial of the Chicago Seven. Yeah, I now also want to take one second and jump back and answer the other question that I told you I didn't have an answer for, and then oh. you can just drop drop it in. Okay. Uh, it's it's so hard to remember honestly because I've seen so much stuff and some of it good and some of it terrible and eventually it becomes a blur in this uh, lockdown world in which we now live. But um, yeah, one thing that does come to mind is um, the the miniseries. And I can't remember if it was HBO or I don't know who I don't know who did it. Oh no, it might have been Prime. Catch twenty two. Oh yes. Have you seen Outstanding. that? Outstanding. Yes. Yes. Twice, yes. So, in fact. Outstanding. Oh, twice. That's fantastic. So that I found that that show like 
really hypnotic and and really like I kind of couldn't look away from it and just kept loading the next one and loading the next one. And I urge listeners who haven't seen it to go out and find it, even if you've seen the original film that it was based on and didn't necessarily care for that or understand that, which was my case. I saw that when I was in my 20s. And I just couldn't make any sense out of it. I just I could not connect to the material the way it was presented in the feature film. No, it's awful. It's awful. But, uh, and technically, um, it's based on a book, not on right. the original. Not on right. The no, no, I understand. They went to film. the source. Okay. What I'm saying is, don't let any negative experience with the original film interfere with your enjoyment of this. It's it seems to do all of the things that that first film was trying to get to in terms of thematically and story elements, but it gets them right as far as I'm concerned. And the well, cast is just amazing. The, the the film, the, this is the 1970 film. Right, right. Mike, Mike, Mike Nichols. Nichols. Yeah, exactly. And it's structured, if I'm remembering it correctly, it, it mm-hmm. follows the book's structure of jumping around right. without a clear through line. And this miniseries um, that I think was on Hulu uh, originally okay, okay. takes a more chronological approach and sort mm. of re, reconstructs a lot from the book gotcha. into – uh, more of a, a flow, a chronological flow, and it's that may be, uh, really fantastic. Yeah, I really, I really like it, and it's got a really interesting, you know, supporting cast with faces that you recognize, and everyone oh, is so yeah. solid in it. Kyle Chandler, who I love from um, Blood, yeah, everything. But he was he was in a thing I've talked about. As long as you're asking me what people should be watching, there's a Kyle Chandler um, miniseries that I have raved about in the past. That now I can't think of. Oh, he was in Manchester uh, by the by Sea, the which we yeah. which we thoroughly enjoyed, and he's in the Midnight Sky coming up. So that will be uh, fun to great. see. But you know what? We should only whenever we're coming up with these <laughs> filmographies, we should only yes. plug titles that we've done in episode four. That's the be hilarious. It'll just eat its own tail. But the the thing I'm trying to think of is something called Bloodline. One word. It's a sort of a short lived uh, thirty three episodes. But the first season is phenomenal. Second season is great. And he's part of a, a dysfunctional family that gets in 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 over its head. And the uh, Linda Cardellini plays a sister, and Ben Mendelsohn is phenomenal as the black sheep in the family in that yeah. uh, in that thing. I can't recommend that enough. In fact, maybe that okay. can be the next thing I tell you to watch that you then hate. Um, yes, quite possibly. <laughs> so uh, I I can't remember how we got here, but we were just talking about stuff that's coming up. So yeah, there's some good things, and now uh-huh. all the time in the world to watch it. Uh, yep, and much like our listeners, we got a lot yep. of watching to do. That is true. Uh, anything else for uh, this week, Doctor? I D? think not. I think it's time to um, to say goodbye. We'd like to thank you all for listening, for coming back again, and joining us on this uh, on this uh, journey. From now and until next time, the doctors are out. Oh no, he's calling me.